0: Welcome to an episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast. Today, my guest is Ruby Warrington. She's the author of the Sober Curious book. And I loved reading this book. I loved listening to her podcast as well. She is a fighter. I mean, she tells us an incredible story, not only in the book, but in the podcast as well. Uh, Just a story about developing an intuitive relationship with yourself. If you listen to this whole podcast, that's what I hope you walk away from. I hope you, you walk away from this podcast in more alignment, uh, more curious and more attuned to what you need specifically to what you need, to what your body needs, to what serves you. Uh, Want people to get out of the habit of being people pleasers. We have to stop people pleasing. We have to stop self abandoning in the tune of let me appease everyone because I need their validation. I believe that what has helped me a lot, what has helped me gain so much clarity and control, and focus has been the sobriety that I found, the sobriety from alcohol. Um, At the time of this recording, this would be 106 days sober from alcohol. The consequence of that is that I found more clarity in my business and what I want to do with the business. I was able to finish writing my ninth book. I spent less money on alcohol. Uh, I had more calories available for snacks. (laughs) That's fun. Trust me, that's fun. (laughs) Uh, I've been able to make new connections, um, new friendships. The sleep has been amazing. Sex has been 50 times better. I've made more money, actually, and I feel like that's a result of having clear business goals and intentions. I have better boundaries now because I'm saying no to certain uh, situations and certain people. I am not here to tell anyone not to drink alcohol. I'm not here to tell anybody anything. My whole purpose exists to ask questions and to hold space and to be uh, a disruptor. My whole purpose is to disrupt what takes away from your highest self and your highest energy. That is my purpose. I want to create the thoughts and the books and the podcasts and in the interviews, and I want to create things that disrupt people. That's literally my job. Because I want you to be in flow and I want you to be aligned. I want you to heal. I want you to have clarity and purpose. And if we're not feeling that, if we're having some some cognitive dissonance, well, in order to get that cognitive res- resonance, we need to disrupt things. And that's my whole purpose. So I hope this podcast uh, with Ruby Warrington, I hope it serves you. I hope it's warm. I hope it's inviting. And I hope it's for you. With no further ado, let's dive right in and let's free, free. your energy, your energy. Thank you for joining. I, like, I really appreciate you for real. Let me tell you how I found you. I think it's cool. You know, as a, as an author myself and as a creator, it's, you know, you spend so much time creating, you never know how people are interpreting your work, you know, unless you see them and talk with them. So just as a fellow creative, I'll share with you. I was, uh, I was on a, I was on a morning walk and I wanted to switch up my podcast routine. I, I usually like to listen to podcasts on my, my morning walk. So, uh. I don't remember what I typed in. Something with alcohol, though. It was like sober or sobriety, just something. And I don't know if your podcast popped up or if you were a guest on one. I can't remember, but your voice came. And energetically, I was like, wow. I'm like, this lady's like, she's talking like she's me. Like, this, this is this I was. I'm like, she's talking like she's me energetically. Like, I like this. So uh just like type your name in when I got on the computer and I'm like, wow, Ruby Warrington. Like this is crazy because my very first book, I wrote a I didn't it's not published anymore. But I've always loved the name Ruby. The title of the book was Ruby, the character's name was Ruby. And uh I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm destined to talk to her. So
1: <laughs> wow, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, it is always really curious to learn how people have come to your work because as you say as creatives we're just kind of like putting stuff out there all at the time and i think with social media you can trace some you can make some of those connections more easily but yeah particularly with putting a book out like it is just like you're working on this this thing for like so long although you've written so many books i feel like you may be write quite quickly but um that's just i don't even know you yet but <laughs> Um yeah you write this thing for so long and it's so personal and private to you for so long and then it goes out into the world and you have no idea like who's picking it up or how they're finding it and so that's that's great and I, that's one reason I love podcasts because you can reach such a wide audience and in such a deep way like we can put we can put so much of what we know and our wisdom and so much feeling into our books but hearing someone speak there's so much more nuance and so much more comes through so thank you so much for inviting me on to speak with you um yeah i'm curious to hear about your sober curious journey as well and why you were searching sobriety podcasts on that walk
0: yeah it's uh it's it's beautiful uh, i'm always mindful of the story that i tell myself and this is one one thing i talk about with the listeners here on the free your energy podcast is just to be mindful of the story you're telling yourself, you know, if you're repeating the stories, those old stories, you're going to bring those old emotions into your present moment and then repeat it. And your future is really just going to be your past. So it's like, at some point you have to disrupt, you have to be a disruptor to the story you're telling yourself and to, you know, your emotional experience. And so this part of my story is I'm the child of two alcoholic parents who their reasoning for divorce, at least through 12 year old eyes, is it was because of the alcohol. Like that was what I was observing. Right. Um, obviously, as an adult now, I'm able to go back and to objectively see the potential stresses that my parents are dealing with because I have a kid now. So I, I know how stressful that is. <laughs> like I have to pay bills now. I know how stressful that can be. Right. So it's like now I can look back and say, oh, well, it wasn't alcohol. It was everything that they were avoiding all the tough conversations that they were avoiding and the alcohol was just an accelerant to, you know, the demise of our family structure. Mm-hmm. And so my story has changed as I've been able to to grow and to learn. Uh I'm like you in a way where or at least from reading your book. I should say your book's over curious great book. Um I don't identify as an alcoholic. I don't even think I have a quote-unquote problem with alcohol. For me, my Sober Curious journey started. I was actually having a glass of wine, Sauvignon Blanc. That's my favorite wine. And I'm sitting there drinking it. My son is is looking at me drinking my wine. And he's looking at me with, hey, what are you doing? Like, what is that? So I started explaining to him the whole process. I'm like, oh, yeah, these are grapes. And they ferment them. They put some sugar. Like, I'm just, he doesn't get it. <laughs> but I'm just explaining it to him, right? After I explained the whole process of what the wine was, I tried to take another sip of the wine. And my body started screaming my body was like nope you're done don't don't drink anymore wow so i was like hold on body you're not in charge here like i'm about to drink (laughs) so i tried to sip another sip of the wine couldn't do it wow like i just couldn't do it so there was just this moment where i'm sitting with my son and i explained to him what i was doing and then my body just rejected it
1: that's so interesting so how old's your son? I feel like I'm going to interview you now because I'm always so curious about this, but Abs- how, old, how old's your son? I'm open
0: to it. He is uh, 17 months.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. He's a little, he's a little baby.
1: I love that you were, exp- I love that you were going as far as explaining the whole growth process of making the wine, but did you also explain to him why you were drinking the wine?
0: Oh yeah. Right. You want to know, you want to know why I was drinking? Well,
1: yeah. What did you say to him? Because I'm wondering if maybe that's why your body rejected it because you're all about like you know really being attuned with your your energy and like what's act what you're putting and obviously what you're putting into your body has such a huge impact on that so ma- I'm imagining that maybe vocalizing the words you' you' there was a total holistic realization of like this isn't serving me
0: there was a holistic realization because I could not explain to him why I was drinking it huh. and i'm a I'm a person who I like to When I'm spending my energy or my time, I like to feel like I have a purpose behind it, right? Um, And I couldn't find one. I I couldn't find a reason. Like, I couldn't convince myself for a reason. Mm. So I just haven't been able to drink since that moment.
1: Wow. I've never heard that. I've heard a lot of stories about why people have got sober curious or why they've decided to quit drinking or even to address their drinking. But I've never heard that one before. So thanks. That's fascinating.
0: What seems to be the, the people who come across you now, now that you're known as you know one of the, the main leaders and main voices in the sober curious, and you, you pretty much made that phrase, what seems to be the most common person that have come to you?
1: The most common person, honestly, people come to me in their, I would say, 30s and early 40s. And I think it coincides with that time in life when, I don't know if I can say this, when shit is getting more real. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, when speak, the, the, speak bills, the, bills are, yeah. the bills the bills, are really real, like the responsibilities of life are just piling up. And it's kind of like that point in life when it's like, oh, I need to start taking this stuff seriously. So that's one kind of factor, I suppose. And also when perhaps like, I don't know, hangovers are, are lasting longer, are feeling more intense, when perhaps your kind of like normal social drinking habit is starting to look more like more like what problem drinking looks like maybe it's like you're drinking every day now and maybe you need like three or four drinks to get a buzz where you used to just need a couple and yeah i don't know there's often a combination of factors where what used to feel like drinking for fun is now the negative side effects are starting to outweigh what used to feel like the positives of drinking it's not necessarily the people who might find themselves you know going to an aa meeting or be having an intervention among family and friends where we might traditionally see like what we would call alcoholic drinking but I think for for a long time we've had this real binary between like alcoholic drinking and normal drinking when in my experience and the more that I talk to people about their drinking lives I think most people are somewhere in between you know for most people the vast majority of drinking Alcohol has caused them some kind of problems, whether it's as mild as a hangover or as intense as what your parents experienced and what you experienced as a child watching that as well. And so I think that people, the people who are getting sober, sober curious are realizing that normal drinking can be and often is problem drinking. And wow, if that applies to me, it doesn't have to mean that I identify as an alcoholic. But what it does mean is that I'm serious if I'm serious about really living a life that feels authentic, where I can really show up, when I can like squeeze all of the juice out of this one life that I've been given, then perhaps alcohol is not a part of that. And that's a real like aha moment in a society that presents alcohol as the path to happiness, the path to fulfillment, the way that we relax, the way that we, you know, are able to express our true selves. There's such a disconnect between that messaging, which has just been, you know, the predominant messaging about alcohol for so long and people's actual lived experience. And so a lot of people are waking up to that sort of dissonance, you know, and they're the people who are getting sober curious.
0: from a society perspective uh and you'll have to help me with this because you're from you're from London originally is that correct Originally yes okay and then you you relocated to New York mm-hmm. is in the UK is it similar to how it is in America where um, the the culture you know it's a drinking culture where it's the norm to drink and to hey, let's get drinks, let's meet up for drinks. Uh, you know, a sports team does well. It's okay to get blackout drunk and, you know, go crazy. Is it? Is it similar cultures?
1: Yes, very similar. If anything, I would say that um, my experience in New York is that people drink a little bit less, although that's, that's it's, a, it's strange because my, I got sober curious right as I was moving to New York. So when I moved here, I was consciously seeking out a social scene that didn't result revolve around drinking and yet obviously New York is an extremely social city um, and yeah even in the during the pandemic it's been really interesting I'm not actually sure where you're located but here they um relaxed the the ban on like drinking in the street so you could get takeout drinks and it was just so interesting like <laughs> the whole like during the pandemic just watching literally everyone walking down the street with a cocktail and it's like oh okay so yeah people are drinking kind of a lot like during the day all day (laughs) oh wow this is happening but um no very similar in that drinking is I kind of summed, summed it up for this myself a bit it's like anytime you're not working is a reason to be drinking whether it's vacation whether it's evenings whether it's weekends whether it's whatever it is, like literally anytime you're not being kind of productive and contributing to our capitalist society in the way that you are supposed to is a time to be drinking, basically. And that's very much the same here in the U.S. as it is in the U.K.
0: I like how you talk about that in your book, too, because if, if we are to, I think me and you are very similar in the fact that we're, we're trying to look at this thing holistically. Like we need the whole picture. So like in your book, you talked about the L.A. yoga scene how, it, I think you said it was like cocaine at 3 a.m. and sunrise yoga at 6 a.m. It's like, no, like, we ha, like let's stop the lie. Let's stop lying here. That's not holistic health, you know? And it's just like, you talk about the capitalist culture. Of course, like working, you know, 9 to 30, 9 to 6, it's like, where's your time to decompress? You know, decompress. Where's your time to actually sit back and process the day mm-hmm. it's like there is no time it's almost like the, the society is set up in a way where you get up and as soon as you get up your fight or flight mechanism is kicked in <laughs> gotta get to work gotta hurry up and get to work i gotta be there right away it's not we're not trained to okay let's do let's get a morning routine that has some self-care laced in there we're not really trained to do that we're trained. get up we got to go to work we make money our number one priority so then money's the number one priority. You go to work right away. You get off. Okay, you gotta get a happy hour. You gotta you gotta get some fast food. Like the society is set up in a way where drinking is like easy. It's easy to access. So what do you think like what's a what's a remedy for kind of the way the lifestyle is set up for us? Like what can we do? What what choices are available to us? Well, I
1: think a big part of this is Alcohol has become the only way that we know how to relax and to be happy. And when I say be happy, I mean be the opposite of sad or confused or depressed or anxious or any of the other negative emotions that might be the result of like working too hard or yeah, living in a society where everything's too expensive and the majority of people actually have to work two or three jobs just in order to be able to survive. Like these are some big, kind of big issue big questions that we actually are really being asked to look at kind of as a society but if as soon as we down tools and we switch into kind of like okay I can relax and actually have some time for myself and have some time to think and have some time to get into my parasympathetic nervous system which is the rest and digest I'm then just kind of straight away reaching for a drink or another substance which I might be using to like relax switch off unwind I'm not actually giving myself any any time to just kind of like be with myself, be with my feelings, maybe be with my anger and my rage at what I'm seeing in society. And that's really uncomfortable and that makes me feel really powerless because what can I, one person do? But as long as we keep numbing out all of those quote unquote negative feelings with alcohol and other substances, we're never gonna be able to really make any positive changes, whether it's in our individual lives, which is ultimately where all, mass change starts like with us on an individual basis and not only that we're also depleting further depleting our natural energy reserves and our natural optimism and our natural um, capacity to kind of like make change because we're putting this toxic system um, substance into our systems which then it takes so much energy to process and get out of our system so we end up in this cycle of like you say just kind of burning the candle at both ends. We're burning out kind of like on the hamster wheel of life. And then we're burning out in our downtime as well. And so we end up just feeling completely depleted. So I'm not saying that like getting sober curious or quitting drinking or whatever is like going to change the world. But I am saying that it can be a really powerful step towards getting more energy, more agency, more clarity, more focus, more a higher capacity for the things that really matter do matter to us um and that's and it's just I don't think that's overstating it I think that alcohol is so insidious and like you say it's so widely available and so widely used that oftentimes because it's so normalized and how even like I was saying excessive and quote-unquote problem drinking is is normalized we often don't think about the the negative impact that it's having or realize the negative impact that normal drinking is having until we remove it. And then we realize like, wow, that was actually making me feel way more stressed out. That was actually giving me more anxiety. That was actually meaning I didn't sleep properly. That was actually causing all these problems I didn't even realize were problems or that were resulting from the alcohol. From the alcohol. So I hope that makes sense. But it's, um, I think that getting conscious about what we put into our bodies and into our brains is a really important step in terms of just, like I said, getting more present, getting more agency, getting more in touch with who we are and what we really need.
0: In your book, you talked about moderation because that's what they often say is, oh yeah, if you drink in moderation, you know, that's good, no problem. It's like
1: the company line.
0: And you you give extreme resistance to that concept, and I'm 100% aligned with you. Um, share, share with us on, on, on why you're that way, on why you have the complete opposite idea of, oh, yeah, just moderation. Share, share with us what you think about that.
1: Everything in moderation, right, including moderation, so they say. Well, anyway, with alcohol, we, are talk- we have to be very aware of the nature of the beast, right? And I speak, first of all, from personal experience of trying to moderate my drinking for many, many years Um, and slowly over that time drinking less and less, but not because I was moderating, but because slowly over that time I would take longer and longer breaks of total abstinence from drinking. The thing I found with moderation is that as soon as I started putting rules around my drinking, I would always break them. And then because I'd broken the rule, I was back to where I, it was like all bets were off again until I made a new rule. And then I'd try and stick to that rule for a few weeks. And then I'd break that rule. And then it would just be like, ah, whatever. And those ah, whatevers just ended up getting like worse and worse in terms of them being binges. There's this thing called ego. I think it's called ego fatigue or willpower fatigue. But it's, anyway, it's like we've only actually as humans got a certain amount of like willpower available to us. Which is when we're we're consciously not doing something that we we want to do, we can only like resist for like so long before we will give in to that thing. So really, if you really want to make a truly sustainable change to your drinking, you have to stop wanting to do that thing. And if you're trying to moderate, it's in the language that you're obviously consciously wanting to keep that thing in your life. Eventually, and again, just from what I've seen with so many people on this path over the past five, six years it always leads back to the same place. I'm going to backtrack. Maybe not always. There are some people I've seen, but a, a, a 1% maybe, who can successfully and do successfully moderate. And again, I don't know what it's like in their head. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in their brains um, and in terms of the self-talk around that. They, it might, from externally, it might look like they only drink a couple of times a month. It could be that they're th- thinking about drinking every day of the month. And for me, that level of obsession and control is just not worth it because it takes so much energy and th- from what I could be doing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't advocate for moderation for people who are serious about really seeing the benefits of not drinking the only way you get the benefits of not drinking and that's what I'm all about promoting are is not to drink. And that m- might mean for a month, I recommend a minimum if you're really interested in like seeing what it would be like not to drink and also if you're really interested in seeing what true impact alcohol is having on your life, I recommend stopping for at least 100 days which sounds a little bit intimidating, but in a good way, I think. (laughs) It's just, it's a long enough of a challenge that it's not like completely out of your reach or completely overwhelming, but it's also, it is going to challenge you and you will be confronted during a hundred days. I guarantee you, even if you consider yourself to be just a a normal social drinker, over a hundred days, there will be points when you're confronted with actually how attached you are to alcohol. Um, And those moments of challenge are when you really get to see okay what's actually going on here you know and get to ask yourself like is this something that I really need to have in my life
0: and at 100 days you'll actually you'll encounter all the challenges but you also will start to reap the benefits mm-hmm. your sleep will begin to change your clarity will begin to change over a hundred days that's now less calories you're putting in your body that's less money that you're spending that's less time that you're investing there so a hundred days is enough to make a quote-unquote lifestyle change it is you yeah. know so if you say hey let me try this for 100 days you will get results you, you will get you'll get many answers that you're looking for
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'm sober curious right now I, I i can't say that i'm sober sober i can't say that i'm you know, I I don't know. I don't know what my my future will be. I'm 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 still in a inquisitive place of asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like to ask questions and to learn. My birthday's coming up on August 23rd. I've played this scenario out in my head over and over, where uh, I'm gonna be with a good group of god friends, and they all know I'm not drinking. I've been out with all of them before, and they know I'm not drinking and um, I'm just playing this scenario in my head where one of them is like, Come on, man, we gotta get you a shot for your birthday. And I know a lot of people deal with this, the pure pressure of social drinking, of being with friends. And I'm lucky and fortunate because I have a a very understanding and like loving connection with my my friends. Mm -hmm. So I know if I say no, they're gonna be like, Okay, cool, no problem. Mm -hmm. But everybody can't say that. So how do we equip our listeners? with the tools needed to have confidence in self and in their decision when they when they're in that situation how do you know how do we prep them for that situation
1: yeah it's really interesting um part of me wants to say to you have a drink you know it's your birthday like have a drink even if just to see like did I actually enjoy that? Was that Did that bring me the experience I was looking for or hoping for? Because you may well surprise yourself with the answer to that, you know? And sometimes putting yourself in that situation with the conscious awareness of, like, I'm actually going to see how this goes. I'm actually going to see. This is, this is my vision of how it's going to go. Let me see if the actual experience measures up. And if it doesn't, which oftentimes it doesn't when we actually have that much conscious awareness around our drinking... Then you've got some really good information the next time a situation like that comes up because it will come up again. You'll have your birthday and then even if it's only next year, you'll be confronted with the same thing. But chances are there'll be something else in between. There'll be a wedding or someone's bachelor party or something where you're expected to drink, right? So part of me wants to just say, use it as an experiment and see how it goes. But then for people who are really like, I would also do, I talk about in the book and kind of consistently, again, when talking to people about this hundred day idea, having a, having a sober first is a really powerful way of proving to yourself that you actually don't need alcohol in any situation. Culturally, there are some very kind of like, there are certain situations. I mentioned a few of them, like vacations, like weddings, big parties, big celebrations, when it's just expected of us to drink and not doing it like freaks us, out like it freaks our brain out it's like what cannot compete I'm going to be at a wedding and not drink like (laughs) it's just so culturally ingrained and so going against that you know you mentioned being a disruptor like having a sober first is a real disruptor move because you are really freaking your brain out you're just like I'm going to show you what it's like not to drink oh my god I might even have a better time not drinking like you just don't know how it's going to go and so, going doing a sober first, like a sober first birthday party, especially if it's with all your friends and stuff. And wait, are you a are you a Leo? Virgo. Oh, it's a Vir- of course it's Virgo, just on the Virgo cusp.
0: Yep, yep, just on the Virgo cusp.
1: Yep. <laughs> I was going to say for Leo's are kind of like the party people of the zodiac, so like that's going to be even more intense. But Virgos, um, it's funny. Each, each star sign, kind of the next sign, kind of balances out the excesses of the other sign. And Virgos okay. can be much more concerned with their health and, and well-being than Leo's typically. <laughs> but yeah, having a sober first can be a really great and extremely empowering. It can really start to carve a new neural pathway in your brain, which will gu- which will guide you towards. I don't need alcohol to have fun and celebrate with my friends because the truth is, we don't actually physically need. Alcohol for anything—it's just this cultural conditioning, which is reinforced by behavior again and again and again and again. But in terms of like a really good tool to have, like a practical tool, I always recommend just writing out somewhere. Like the notes app on your phone is a great place, so you've always got it with you. But like you could write it on it in a journal, or you could put it on a post-it on your fridge, or, on your fridge or whatever. Just listing out all of the things that you want to make space for in your life by not drinking all of the positives. So often when we think about quitting drinking, we think about what we're losing or what we're missing out on or what we're, we're, we're quitting, right? If you can flip that and put down all, get really clear on all of the things that you actually want to make space for in your life, that you have an idea that maybe alcohol is kind of getting in the way of, it could just be that it's more time. It could be that it's more money. Yeah, you want to save money. It's it's a lot cheaper being a non-drinker. Although there are so many great alcohol-free drinks now that um Yeah, (laughs) they can get quite expensive too. But um, but yeah, it might be clarity around which relationships are really serving you. It might be more time for a passion project, it might be more focus, it might be all it might be health reasons, it might be to set a good example to my kids, you know? And I think that was amazing that you have you spoke to your child about it in that honest way as well. It's setting him such a great example. But anyway, yeah, listing out having all of your reasons, all your pros for not drinking somewhere that you can access them so that even if you're in that part at that party, you can, and it's, the pressure is mounting. You can take yourself to the restroom and you could just read through them and you can remind yourself, this is why I'm doing this. You know, Um, that can be a really good one just to have
0: down. And I also want to add for anybody listening who may be thinking, Hey, I, I want to stop drinking alcohol. What really helps with setting boundaries with that is if you communicate that to the people you're going to be with ahead of time, Yes. Communicate exactly what you're experiencing, what you're hoping for, um, because the truth is you might not be the type of person that has the strength to say no to someone yeah. when they're like, hey, here's, you know, you may not have in that situation, you may not mm-hmm. have that strength. So in psychology, we call it priming. You know, when you prime somebody before a situation happens to let them know what your answer is ahead of time, that can really, really, really help you a lot. And I like how in your book, too, the answer you gave me was very similar to your book where. Uh, you were talking about you had a beer and a half. uh, It was towards the end of the book. You you remember that? You had a beer and a half. And it was like, you were doing it as a test, though. It was a test. You pretty much said you wanted to see how you would actually feel and if it aligned with, you know, what you were thinking. And then after that, I think, is when you had your your sober rave, which was your sober first (laughs) when you did the rave. So... (laughs) That that's cool though. Like looking at drinking almost as, hey, let me let me not just unconsciously do this because I've been conditioned to, but let me experiment. Okay, why am I actually drinking this wine? Or yes. why am I taking this shot? Or why am I drinking the beer? What what do I hope to get from it? What do I hope to gain from it? You know, how do I really feel? Like I remember you were saying it made you a little clumsy and you didn't you didn't like that, it made you clumsy. So you're like, eh, you know whatever. But then there was another time where you were like, okay, no, I just, I just wanted to have, and it was, it was good. It was okay. You know? So I like that making it a a scientific experiment because that makes us intuitive. Yeah. That makes us really intuitive with our body. Can you talk to me about some of the other, I don't want to just talk to you about alcohol because I I just know that your world is so expansive. Uh, Can you talk to me about as a creative, um, putting yourself out there? You know, there's so many people who are sitting on great ideas, great books, great movies, uh, great skits. Just, there's just so much power and talent inside of many of us, and we're sitting on it and we're scared. Can you just talk to me about what that's like for you? The first time maybe you shared, what makes you continue to share, you know, why you get up and do podcasts and interviews, and you're, you know, talk to me about the journey as a creator. Oof.
1: I think I've always had an impulse to write like as a kid I would always be writing I would always be drawing I would always be playing dress up and like just kind of creating but then so many kids are I don't think there's anything unusual about me as a child like being really really creative and I was lucky and that my parents really encouraged that in me they didn't ever impose on me like we want you to follow this career path I mean if anything they were like we just want you to be happy which is its own kind of pressure in another way do you know what I mean <laughs> but um but, yeah, I had parents that encouraged that in me. Um, and I always – but then I always kind of – I always really wanted to make money as well. And I always thought that being a creative, like being an art, more of an artist, I wouldn't be able to make money. So I channeled my creativity into my career in journalism um, and became pretty successful on that path. But when it came to creating my own thing and putting that out in the world, I procrastinated for about two and a half years before I started my own kind of creative project, because I was so scared that I wouldn't do it justice, that people would think it was shit, (laughs) um, that I wouldn't have the time, I wouldn't know how to do it, that it would fail, basically. I was so scared of failure that it took me like two and a half years before I wrote my first blog post on this site that I wanted to create called The Numinous which I don't know if you looked into that kind of side of my work, but it does very much align with what you're all about. And it really kind of led to me getting sober curious, actually, um, or becoming sober curious. So the Numinous, for people who aren't familiar, um, I launched it in 2012, so almost 10 years ago now. I really was fascinated with astrology, which I touched on, and just these kind of mystical kind of wellness or self-development practices that had a really kind of crunchy and uncool kind of vibe at the time. (laughs) And I was like, but I'm really, but I'm really loving. I really, I'm really interested in them. And I know that so many other people would be if it would just kind of like seemed a bit cooler. And so I launched this website called The Numinous that was all about making astrology and tarot and these sorts of things, energy work, kind of appealing to a more mainstream audience, which has, you know, that whole industry and, and realm has really ballooned over the past decade and younger kids in particular, like mega, mega into all of that stuff. And the Numinous was there right at the beginning of that. Um, But yeah, I was so afraid of kind of being seen and putting my neck out and putting my creativity on the line, putting myself up for criticism, like risking failure, all of that stuff. But eventually it just got so, like the impulse to do it just got so big inside me that I just had to do it or I would explode basically. (laughs) But I did it very, very small. I started very, very small, just real baby steps, you know, and saw myself right up until my first book came out in 2017. So, for those first five years of doing it, really it was just a passion project, side project. And I still would talk about myself as a journalist and I still very much identified with that part, with that career path. Um, But then having my first book out gave me kind of permission and validation, I suppose, that I needed to kind of more. Actively step into that side. But I mentioned that it helped me get sober curious because I realized that as much as I had always drunk alcohol to feel more confident, a lot of people I think will relate to this. I drank alcohol particularly to feel more confident in social situations. I've always been really introverted. I much prefer communicating with people one on one, which is why I love podcasts so much. Um, I'm not good in group settings. I feel really awkward and anxious. And so I, from a teenager discovered that alcohol meant I could be this kind of party person that everyone seemed to want to know. And I could feel more popular and more cool and all these things. But what I realized was that actually alcohol was robbing me of my confidence because I had been outsourcing my confidence to alcohol from the age that i first started becoming an adult in the world and realizing that i had my own agency and i could do what i wanted with my life i had then came alcohol this is how you feel confident this is what you need in order to like be that kind of extroverted person that everybody likes this is what you need to do to fit in i that to be liked by everyone and i kind of began to realize that actually the more i put myself into sober first the more I lived in the world as a non-drinker the more I confronted my insecurities kind of head-on and pushed through my fears and just kind of showed up the more confident I started feeling about everything else I was doing and the less I really cared and this is by no means am I saying that I don't I don't care about rejection and I don't still want everybody to like me and I'm still not addicted to validation and all of those things too but um I've had, I've just developed through not drinking a much stronger trust in myself and trust in my ability to kind of handle whatever comes up. Cause that's the other thing we already spoke about how so many of us turn to alcohol when we're feeling challenged in some way. Right. Um, and actually the more that I've just kind of confronted life's challenges, like without that buffer, the more resilient I've become. And the more I've realized that even when things go wrong, like I actually can bounce back pretty quickly. So long as I have like supportive people around me, so long as I've been nurturing my friendships, so that I know that I've got real, like true supporters in my life as well, um, the more I can just kind of bounce back from stuff. And I think it's made me confident, more confident about putting myself out there creatively. And the last thing I will say is that starting any kind of creative project, whether it's like a TikTok account or whether it's writing a book. It requires so much energy and focus and self-belief and time, 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 time that I cannot be spending either drunk or hungover. Being drunk and hungover takes so much time out of your day. And being a creative, because let's face it, yes, when you're just starting out, creativity doesn't pay necessarily. You are working a job and doing your creative thing as a side project. It takes all of your extra time and I just didn't have time to be out of it. I needed to be really in it. And so, yeah, these things are interlinked again. I'm really happy that you brought it up.
0: I love how you you mentioned that at the end that it takes time and energy. Uh-huh. Those are the two biggest resources that we have. Yeah, it's time and energy.
1: Yeah, that's life. So, that's our life. Life yeah, is time like, and energy.
0: Like <laughs> that's it. Those are our two biggest resources. Like. And so it's interesting when when people are in this, you know, they're in this liminal space of transition where they have this idea, they have this thing they want to do, they want to create a side project, a new business, and they're, they're not pushing themselves. I think a lot of it is the fear of recognizing how much energy it's going to take yeah. to really actualize and create it the way they're envisioning, mm-hmm. you know, and um, how the hell are you going to do it if you're drunk all the time? How are you going to do it? If every Saturday morning you wake up with, if you go out every Friday night and you drink Saturday morning, you have a hangover, you're spending all of Saturday, you know, trying to recover and you're not really yourself again until Sunday afternoon. Right. But you're working nine to five, Monday through Friday. You've used your time and energy on alcohol instead of this great freaking book idea or, or play or whatever it is, TikTok, whatever it is you're trying to do. So it's like, I remember when I, I was working a corporate job, uh, I was doing sales management and it was no longer in alignment with me. Like I liked the skills that I was using, p- being with people, coaching people, leading people. But from a conscious capitalism standpoint, I was no longer in alignment with the product I was selling. And I wanted to, to begin to I wanted to become a, an author full time. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. I went to college. I knew when I was a, a boy, I was going to be, be an author. I just always knew it was going to happen. And so my weekends, like when I would get off of work, I would open my laptop and I would write book ideas. I would be writing characters. I would just be writing business plans. I couldn't spend my time. And it sucks because I gave up I gave up like two or three years of my quote unquote social life. But I put all of that time into my business. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't I mean, we wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't be talking now. I wouldn't have the success I have now if I didn't invest that time and energy. So any person listening to, to, to this right now, if you're thinking about, Hey, should I go sober? Should I be sober curious? I have this great idea. I'm, Man, look, we're telling you right now, it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. Can you do that drunk? Can you do that hungover? You answer that question and you let, you let us know. Let me ask I'm you this.
1: I'll just say one thing. Alcohol does affect mm-hmm. different people differently. Like I know I'm like, really, really sensitive and I'm really introverted and I really, like, I kind of feel everything. And that's one of the things that makes me a good writer because I really, you know, I was always kind of, and it's one of the reasons I wrote So Curious, I can kind of pick up on trends just in a a feeling way. Um, Mm -hmm. But for some people... Who don't have that kind of level of, of sensitivity? Alcohol doesn't have the same effect. So, like, they might be listening to us going, What do you mean, hungover every Saturday? I can get up Saturday and kill it in the gym and write a 5,000 <laughs> word article after drinking. What do you mean? And that's like, Those fine, are it should good for you. But that wasn't the case for me. So, the sober, curious thing for me is very, it's not about saying drink or don't drink. It's really about saying be really honest about what works for you and doesn't. And the only way you can be really honest is to really investigate thoroughly and, like you said, develop that kind of intuitive um, relationship with your body and your energy so that you know what's working for you and what's not. So you can make a really informed yes and no and put a really strong boundary up against the things that are not serving you.
0: What has your family and friends and your partner's reaction been when you started making the, the, the inquisition? to uh your sobriety what, what was their reaction and feedback
1: well in the beginning the reaction was like really why would you stop you never even seem drunk but like, you don't have a problem um but you only drink to have fun <laughs> there was a lot of like huh because <laughs> all those things were true they weren't inside my head they didn't know what was going on here they didn't feel the pain i was feeling when i was hung over they didn't feel the shame and the The self-disgust I felt after getting drunk. They didn't see the obsession around, like, should I drink tonight? Should I only have two glasses of wine? What will happen if I have three? Like, they weren't party to all of that. They only saw external, successful journalist, successful marriage, homeowner. Like, they only saw all that kind of external stuff. Like, you don't have a problem. So that was initially it. And then over the years, as I've become more public and obviously written a book about this, (laughs) they do now know all about that. And I often talk about what many people experience on the path, which is the ripple effect, right? I would say that honestly, every single person that I'm close to in my life has also begun to address their drinking, or in some way, I would say, address their own drinking, not as a result of me telling them, you have a problem, or you need to do this, but just out of like, watching my journey unfold. And it's sparking questions in them. And like, so my, my husband now doesn't drink at all. He is what I would call sober serious, meaning he is, you know, he attends meetings and is like completely by the book sober. Um, my brother, who's a DJ and, a, you know, <laughs> lives in Berlin and definitely has pursued that hedonistic kind of lifestyle. He also now takes extended like months off drinking regularly on a regular basis um my dad questions his drinking but still drinks <laughs> he has there's a whole other kind of thing with him um, and his drinking he, he's good he's in a good place but he's definitely questioned it but similarly like so like all of my friends I think that a lot one thing I've noticed is that a lot of my friends who do still drink will be like if we're going to hang out and admittedly during the pandemic we haven't been spending as much time because a lot of my friends are still in the UK as well um oh good I'm seeing you I don't have to drink is a response that I get quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh good I'm seeing you I can have a night off and I like that I like being that their sober friend who they can be a little bit sober curious <laughs> with even if it's just over dinner you know but yeah, um, I have not had any negative pushback from my family and friends, and I feel very grateful for that. I also yeah, haven't, haven't had what a lot of people experience, which is in a way what you were touching on earlier with your friends around your birthday, which is like, come on, have a drink. Like, I haven't really experienced that kind of pressure, but I think it's because from the very beginning, I was like, I'm doing this thing and I'm doing it for me, and please respect that. And this is not a projection on your drinking. You do you. That's great. I love you. Get drunk. Have fun. Wonderful. I'm not doing it and I'm doing it for me. So I really, like you said earlier, what, how did you describe it? I like pre-gamed my friends.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I, primed,
1: I primed. I primed. primed. I primed yeah. the people in my life by being so vocal about like I am sober curious and I was hosting events on it. I think that primed everybody in my life to go to take me seriously. And to not question it and to just let me do what I wanted to do and to respect that, you know. So, yeah, I feel really lucky that I haven't had that pressure. And, yeah, of course, there are some friendships that have kind of fallen by the wayside. But not because of big bust-ups and not because, like, hey, you're a bad person. It's just because when you make a big life change, which this is a big life change, of course, you naturally, some things are just no longer a fit, you know. So, um yeah it's been really interesting I'm also really grateful I'm really happy for my my partner my husband that he yeah he quit he's quit completely it's completely changed his life he's like a different I mean he's he's the person that I've always known and loved so deeply but now he's like that person all the time and he's not the anxious depressed burnt out person that I lived with for for most of our relationship you know wow
0: wow And do you feel like in his, his, his story uh, becoming sober serious was kind of the main mover of his, of his uh, change?
1: Yes, it went hand in hand. He also, um, I mean, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. He um, also kind of like quit the corporate world. Like he had to really address his sort of work addiction stuff as well. And so these two things have gone hand in hand. He is, yeah, he's pursuing a different kind of career path, as you described as well, actually really focusing on what do I want to do with my life? And it was the quitting drinking that gave him the courage and the clarity that he needed to do that. Um, mm. So yeah, the two went hand in hand for him.
0: That, that just makes me think that that's probably a narrative that a lot of people could relate to, is that part of their drinking, if it is excessive, Probably exist because almost of almost to escape the reality of being unaligned and unfulfilled in a career.
1: Yes, and because so career like... is so it takes up such a large chunk of our lives. Out of necessity, as you mentioned, we need to pay the bills. So work is a huge thing in our lives, and if we're unhappy at work, we're unhappy in life. I think.
0: Right. Mm. Wow. That's so. That is so powerful. That's a, such a. Powerful What do you feel like is available to a person when they start asking these questions, kind of like your husband, and just from an emotional healing perspective, what what, what type of healing is available to us when we ask these questions and, and kind of go on this journey?
1: Well, again, he won't mind me sharing this. He's a part of, he participates in 12-step programs, which is a program which, you know, ultimately is about healing yourself. It's about healing your relationship with yourself, and it provides a very kind of clear-cut, step-by-step method for doing that. It's alienating to some people because of the emphasis on God, etc., cetera, um, and the fact that you have to identify with a certain label in order to participate. Um, but ultimately, what I've learned in addition to everything I've learned by being sober curious, is that that program is about getting really real with yourself, being really honest with yourself, um, having really good boundaries, knowing where to put them in. And a lot of it is about connecting with other people in a really authentic way. I honestly feel like the biggest healing tool that's available to all of us for free, like right now, no training required, is like honest conversations with the people in our life. Like, yeah. and that's so much harder to, to do than it is to say, because a lot of the time we're so used to our relationships being a certain way. And we're so afraid of messing things up that we are not lying to ourselves, but maybe living half truths with people when we don't even realize it. And so, Again, quitting drinking, getting really honest with yourself about like how is this substance impacting my life—it leads to a lot of honest self-inquiry. And what you will find, or what I have found, and what I've seen other people experience, including my husband, is that anywhere something is out of—we've used the term "out of alignment" a few times—wherever there's a lack of integrity, it's going to start needling you. It's going to start needling you really badly until you cannot ignore it anymore, and you either Pick up a drink again to soothe whatever it is, or you have to address it head on and some of that stuff is painful and difficult, and sometimes we really need the help of a therapist or a, a, a mental health professional to, to help us kind of like through those moment, those tough patches, and there's absolutely no shame in getting the help you need around that too and I'm thankful that there are more resources that are more affordable available to people now as well, which is really important. but um honestly like Who's a friend in your life, even if it's just one person, that you feel you could let in a little bit more and isn't going to judge you and that you can start having some really honest conversations about what's going on. Like connecting with our friends is, some, is the most nourishing, healing, yeah, supportive thing we can do, I think. And again, when we're always bringing alcohol into those connections, there's a, there's a disconnect. We're not really truly there with them, you know? we are but we're not and it's only when you stop drinking and you start connecting with people sober that you realize like how much deeper your connections can go
0: there's also an element of shame makes us small you know it makes us small it makes us retreat it makes us not want to share and open up and i can just i can just share Vulnerably, from my experience, um, I find it easier. I find it, if if, if our request is to have genuine conversation, to be real, as they say, to be, come from a heart-centered place and to be honest, I find it easier to face shame, to face guilt, to face any of the, the stronger emotions completely sober. I find that Trying to have an emotional conversation, or a conversation about you know your emotional standing under the influence of anything, I think for some people it may feel easier, you know. But I find for me that it's not easier. I find it to be too much. I'm a very sensitive person. I think a lot of the people who are listening to this would would agree that they're very sensitive as well. And I see it as almost too much. It feels kind of overwhelming. Like, let me have this drink to talk to you about how I feel. And it, it, it feels out of alignment. Yeah. And I like how in your book as well, you also tell us not to judge and shame the people. Hey, if we're going to not drink yourself. You're like, don't judge your, your other people. You know, I feel like just like people, they start doing yoga and they're like, oh, well, I'm better than you because I do yoga now. It's like, no, relax. You're not better than anybody. Or you're vegan now. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm better than you because I'm vegan. It's like, let's let's not do that. So have you. What what in your routine now or what in your life now do you do you do that you consider to be um, self-love, self-compassion? I'm really curious about that part of your lifestyle.
1: Oh, wow. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, I cancel things a lot. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I don't feel guilty about it. Um, meaning, you know, if I've got a podcast interview recording with someone and I'm feeling really anxious or just really introverted that day, I will have no shame about being like, hey, could we, could we move that to next week? You know?
0: That
1: I love
0: one, <laughs> um, self love.
1: I think just, um, again, maybe it comes back to people like it's almost like goes hand in hand with the canceling. It's the making, making myself show up for things that I do sometimes feel uncomfortable about or making myself show up maybe in service to people. In a way, it's hard to articulate, but I'll give an example. So, and I guess this is quite personal. I don't have a, a very close relationship with my dad. We probably only speak a couple, like two, three times a year. Um, and I have felt very rejected by him because of that. But like he has a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on in his life and I can kind of justify it, whatever. Anyway, he reached out recently to see if we could have a call. And I could tell it's because he kind of wanted something from me. And I immediately felt quite resentful about that. It was like, that sucks. Like, he doesn't call me ever on my birthday, but as soon as he wants something, like, he's asking for a call at 9am on a Sunday, no less. (laughs) And um, I don't know, I had a good call, a good talk with my husband about it. And he's like, why are you, um, why are you holding on to that? Why don't you just see it as him reach as an opportunity to have connection with him? And I was like, you know what, you're right. Who cares, like, how or why this has come about? I get to have an hour call with my dad, you know? And I had a really nice tight call with him. And yeah, he wanted stuff. and But I talked about all my stuff too. We had this lovely call. And it really felt like a gift to myself because I had stopped making it about what I needed or what I wanted. And I was like, I'm just going to show up for my dad and that will be for me too. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but like, I don't know. I think just kind of proactively kind of looking at my impulses to like close down or shut people out and really being honest about like, is this, is this actually denying myself something that could be an act of love or could be an act of connection, you know? Sorry, that was a little bit convoluted, but I, I think it gets there.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to push your button here. Hopefully you allow it. (laughs) 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 Have you, have you ever, genuinely with every ounce of your body have you been able to forgive your father yes
1: you know what's strange i got off that call with him and there's just something about and i've felt like this since i was a very small child we have a we just have a connection I just love him and he just loves me and our relationship has been imperfect and there has not been nearly enough but again there are there are these reasons and I got off the call with him and I was just like I just love him no matter what it is unconditional love it doesn't look like what I would hope unconditional love might look like from a parent but it's there and I'm just going to go with that life's too short to want it to or try and make it to be anything that it's not you know so I'm just gonna go with what we've got so that feels a bit like forgiveness to me
0: I respect that I respect that a lot thanks for asking <laughs> yeah the, that's one thing that I think sometimes we have people on pedestals you know um, we, again it's like we live in a society with celebrities quote unquote hmm and um, we do this thing where we put people on pedestals but the truth is we all have different things in our stories that we're working on and uh a lot of us have the the father wound the mother wound you know even as we are fathers and mothers ourselves <laughs> you know and um it's something that i'm noticing i'm in my mid-30s now it's something that i'm noticing is coming up um uh, With my peers a lot you know i'll consider you a peer and it's the conversation i feel like i'm having a lot where i'm really just discovering where people are at and it's so interesting that when you look at people on the outside especially like highly successful you know highly known or notable people we just know them for that thing that they're quote-unquote famous for successful at but we never actually sit and ask like man i wonder if this person struggles with their relationship with their mom or dad or sister or brother so i'm just so grateful that you you found it in you to share, you know, to share, because I know so many people can relate to that. So thank you. When you hear the word free your energy, what does that mean to you? Free your energy. If you were to tell someone, yeah, I was on the free your energy podcast. What does free your energy mean?
1: (laughs) The immediate vision that came to my mind was that sober rave that you mentioned, which for people who haven't read my book, I, I wound up hosting a kind of impromptu sober rave on this, island in Croatia several years ago it was amazing long story short um I got like a crowd an amphitheater full of people dancing wildly under an open night sky completely sober for like three hours this is not I had shared with you I'm very introverted right (laughs) this is not something I would ever have envisaged myself doing or being involved in but it was one of the highest natural highs I've ever experienced. And um, discovering the joy of sober dancing has been one of the biggest surprises of this whole journey. I never thought I would be able to really let go on the dance floor without having a couple of the drinks first. And again, I think this is probably a common experience in a society that just like tamps down any kind of wild expressions of our energy, especially physical ones. And so... Yeah, I just think that um, really wild, sober dancing is like an amazing way to free your energy and it always makes me feel so great. I don't do it very often, especially not with the pandemic, but um, even if it's like at home while I'm doing the housework (laughs) with some music on and just kind of like letting go for a bit, um, that's a great way of, of freeing my energy in a practical sense. But free your energy, I think in a broader sense, I think I've become really aware over the years, and not just because of being sober curious, but just because of becoming a more conscious human being, of all of the ways that our energy is coerced and controlled by the kind of wider systems that we live under, and that as you say, disrupting that and taking back our energy from all of these sucks on our energetic resources, be it television, media, like a job, like toxic relationships, whatever it is, and just really kind of like taking it back from all these places where it's sucked out of us Um, and getting really conscious about what we're actually putting our energy into and having boundaries, another word that's come up quite a few times around all the things that suck our energy is how to free our energy ultimately because we're freeing our energy from like being used by all of these externalities that aren't actually serving us you know